welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our accountability and transparency work in local justice systems now around the country at chicagojustice.org. You can find out everything you need to know about our organization. Um, and you can follow our litigation, our transparency work, our accountability work. So happy you were with us today. We have a packed show. The amount of um, <laughs> events that have unfolded over the last week has been, since we last streamed, is pretty incredible for Chicago. Unfortunately, not any of it, or most of it, almost all of it, not good. Um, so, what do we got for today? Lightfoot's whiff on the Community Commission. We have a first look at the actual ordinance. We got our hands on it this afternoon, so we can talk to you about some of the things that are missing from the mayor's version to the compromised version from the community organizations. Then we talk about the police misconduct database fiasco coming out of the mayor's office. Um, two massive failures from the organization in a week. We also have, a, out of that data dump, that hack of emails, we have facial recognition. Um, proof of facial recognition used by the Chicago Police Department does come out. Then we have our, our reoccurring segment on the FOP watch. We'll talk a little bit about the contract, take apart some of the stuff they're talking about. Then after the break, we talk about a new, we're launching a new segment, Stenographers to Power, talking about bad media reporting on crime and justice issues, both in Chicago and around the country, but today it's in Chicago. And then the uh, last few segments are tr on a trip editorial about bail for murders. It's something, murderers, um, I guess it's something the Tribune um, editorial board just found out about. It's probably driven by Sheriff Dart. Then we talk um, about social media fails. Um, and actually our last, um, our second to last segment is actually on uh, Mayor Lightfoot blaming judges and bail reform for why there's a surge in violence in 20, a uh, surge of violence in 19 and 20, and it turns out um, her office knew that was BS, and that still hasn't stopped the mayor since that time. There's a, emails back in July of 2020, or July of 19, actually, showing that they knew it was BS, but the mayor has continued to push that dishonest line. Okay, before we get really into the thick of things here, I want to talk to you about sponsoring our show. So you can go to the link that will hopefully end up in the chat shortly or just go to chicagojustice.org and hit donate. You can follow, uh, you can sponsor this show. Um, and we would really appreciate it. Uh, we got go three days a week. We'd love to go five days a week. We'd love to be able to stream, um, bring on live guests. We'd be able to, we'd love to stream the city council meetings and the Cook County board meetings and Illinois General Assembly meetings when they're talking about crime and justice issues. Um, we'd love to be able to do it, but we need help in doing it and you can get involved. Okay, our first segment today, our main segment. The headline reads, Lightfoot's plan for police oversight released as battle brews, brews over her proposal and Aldrin backed United proposal. Okay, so when I was preparing this segment, Yesterday, we were going to talk about this article, which talks about problems in the ordinance, but in how Lightfoot's ordinance is different from what the compromise ordinance that the community groups backing GAPA, Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability, or CPAC, which is Citizen 
police advisory council or accountability council. Um, they came together and they have a compromised version. The mayor walked away from the table, which was dumb. That's what created the compromised version. She walked away months ago and said she's going to create her own. And now we've waited months and months. And the mayor has whiffed. Whiffed. Total bummer. This ordinance is not good. There's many, many, many issues with it. So, um, you probably haven't seen a lot of this um, in the news. What you're getting here is from the ordinance. We have the draft that's going to be, um, we have the ordinance that's been sent to Alderman. It is going to be introduced next week. We have the real version. We'll be talking more in depth about it next week, but I wanted to get you some highlights of at least what I read today and notice some differences. So in the differences, it's going to be the compromise ordinance, that has been working on for six years. You can look at um, past shows in the archives on YouTube and Facebook. Go look. We've interviewed both people from Desmond Yancey from GAPA many months ago over the summer, I believe, last year or early early fall. And then just a few months, a couple months ago, we interviewed uh, Tamar Abuzaid from CPAC. And when we talked to uh, Desmond, it was about the GAPA version. When we talked to Tamar, it was about the compromise version. So we're going to talk compromise version versus mayor's version. First, theater. Remember the saying, theater versus power. We want you to look like we're giving the, the public power over something. But in reality, it's all theater, okay? And you just think mayor's version, theater. Compromise version, power. There's a difference. Okay, first of all, big difference. No binding referendum. In the compromised version um, that came up, there was um, many of the powers we'll talk about in a second. A lot were advisory, but there's a binding referendum that was going to be part of this ordinance that was going to give it to the public in the next election. Uh, she came in in 19, so 23, I think that is. If I got my numbers right, on uh, February of 23, that ordinance would let it be decided by the people. It'd be a binding referendum about how, how much how much power this community co council commission should have. Um, that has the possibility of massively increasing the power of the commission. So um, some of this stuff is reasonably aligned between the mayor's office and the compromised, and the compromised version. However, it, the, the mayor's version doesn't have the binding referendum, which could really jack up the power of this commission. And I... But I believe that not, I bet that com, that referendum would pass. That would be my bet in Chicago right now. All right. So the the mayor's version, no binding referendum. The mayor's version also allows the commission to select candidates for the mayor to pick from for superintendent. And while it has language that makes it seem like she can only pick from there, um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. So I think there's some issues with it. Um, it allows, the mayor's version allows a no confidence vote. If the referendum passed, it, um, the compromised version would let the um, commission fire the superintendent. Um, in the end, the compromise version goes to city council. If it goes all the way through city council, then the mayor has a choice of what to do. Um, in the comp in the in the um, mayor's version, it allows the commission to prepare a budget submission, but has no power. The mayor can completely ignore it. 
Um, and she, she and the city set the CPD's budget, um, which would greatly affect the ability of the commission to reallocate resources towards um, solutions and altering the response. Um, how about this? You want a special meeting of this commission under the compromise version, you have to have a petition with 500 signatures, I think, of registered voters. In the mayor's version, 5,000. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I think you need more, two more, three times more, more than three times more signatures to get a special meeting of this commission than you do to run for alderman. I don't remember exactly what the mayoral ver version is. It may be 5,000. Um, so I'm, I don't know, but I think it's probably pretty close. I think that's hilarious. Democracy something any politician wants to get in there not for. Lightfoot candidate was all for it. Mayor all can't. Lightfoot, not a chance. Um, Mayor Lightfoot also, also puts this thing I think is pretty exploitive and horrific and horrible. She's going to, it's going to allow, and they have to come up with a way to allow non-citizens to vote. Don't come at me. I'm for finding a way to do it. However, if they have to register their status with the government, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Do you want, you, you're going to fail, you feel safe and secure if you're pro-immigrant? You're going to feel safe and secure with the city of Chicago? Some Department of Safe Chicago having a list of all the undo undocumented uh, residents of Chicago and where they live and their names and addresses? No. That was a political ploy thrown in for propaganda purposes, and they know it's never going to pass. But Lightfoot wanted to see more progressive. She wanted to out-progressive the, um, the community groups. It's a joke. That's a total ploy. Craven politics. That's all it is. Ignore it. Um, a policy. The commission... Uh, if on the referendum version and the compromise version, the commission would have the ability to set police policy and policy for COPE on the police board um, and Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety and any agencies that come forward after that. Um, in the mayor's version, if there's a disagreement between the police and the commission, nothing can go up in front of the city council unless all everything's worked out. And if it doesn't get worked out, it's up to the mayor. Hmm. Doesn't seem like much power there. Um, if records are denied the commission, if they seek records from COPA or the police board or the police department, deputy public safety inspector general, and there's a disagreement about whether or not they can get access, the commission can file a complaint with the office of the inspector general. Okay, they're never going to get the records. Powerless, weak. Um, here's two last things that I noticed. The budgets, um, the mayor has a budget of 0.075% of the city's budget. And as I remember, the compromise version has a 0.22% of the CPD's budget for this commission. So the mayor has literally cut the budget by two-thirds. That's how much she cares about police misconduct. She's going to cut the budget for this new commission by two-thirds. Also, all the, all the commissioners and um, district um, council members, which are similar... The mayor has it similarly situated and worked out as the compromise version, but they're all part-time and they have no staff. So um, that's from a quick reading the differences. Obviously, things are going to be breaking over the next week or so. We are next streaming next Wednesday, so I'm sure we'll have more to talk about it. Um, I consider this a whiff. I don't consider it a starting point. I don't consider it something to negotiate with her. The community groups should force their version through, and whatever aldermen don't sponsor it, they should just vote out. Um, it's going to be really interesting because Talafario, the, the alderman Talafario, who runs the police and fire committee, who is totally beholden to the mayor, 
100%. No different than anyone has been for Rom or anyone was for Daly. It's the same corruption, different players. Um, seems to back the mayor's version emphatically. It's a joke. Um, we'll see. Does the Black Caucus or the Latino Caucus have the guts to do and be independent? I don't think so. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the mayor's version um, get introduced next week and pass in a few weeks with very little fight from any of them because they're all weak and useless. Okay. Our next tragedy, disgusting, horrible thing coming out of the mayor's office. Okay, late last week. The, um, let me read you the headline. We'll talk about the details. Police misconduct database stalls after city watchdog yanks support from watered-down Lightfoot-backed ordinance. What is going on here? Okay, there's been a lawsuit with Charles Green. We had Jared Cossigal on the show over the summer. You can go look that up if you want more about that case. But basically, he won a, um, he won a judicial decision in court in a uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit um, to basically access every piece of paper, basically, going back to the 60s for all complaints against officers. The mayor, um, the city council blocked at that. They're appealing the decision. They could very easily lose that appeal. What they're going to do then, I have no idea. They came up with a compromise. I think originally it was going to be they were going to put all the records into a database from 1994, and now the mayor's come out with her version, and it's going to allow the office inspector general, the OIG, to create this database, but it's only until 2000. And then the original version that came out late last week, actually, talk about a piece of crap coming out of the mayor's office, this is another one. She's two for two in the last 10 days, or not even, like week. Um, it only contains sustained allegations. That means not only the complaints that were, that investigation happened and the findings were sustained, which is a very, very small percentage. All the other ones were not going to be in the database. Yep. That's how gutless, useless, pro-police, pro-abuse, anti-accountability, the head of the Police Accountability Task Force is. Quite different than her speech when she probably knew she was going to run for mayor. Now she's doing everything she can to water every proposal for police accountability down. This is what Mayor Lightfoot does. Why expect anything different? I didn't. I always suspect when people get in the office, they're going to sell everything out. And here's Mayor Lightfoot doing exactly that, completely useless on police accountability. Now, she had to back down because the Inspector General, Joe Ferguson, balked. He's like, there's no way that should not pass. That's horrible. So now I think they may have agreed to go back to 1994. There's a new version was circulated late Sunday night. It's hard to keep track of all these versions of all these ordinances. Um, and now they've moved so that they will, they will allow not sustained, unfounded, and exonerated investigations to be entered. I don't know if that includes allegations where someone makes an allegation against an officer but never signs an affidavit, which soon, if not, if not already, no longer is needed because HB 3653 passed by the Illinois General Assembly a couple months ago ended the need for a signed affidavit. Um, it's really unclear exactly what happens. Also, because our mayor is such a great person. She was only, the language was only going to include complaints from COPA, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability. For those who don't know, Office of Professional Standards 
uh, was created, I think, in 1974. My heart says 76, but maybe 1974. That was the fourth rendition of the version that O.W. Wilson started in the 1960s. Um, but it ended up the Office of Professional Standards from 1974 to 2007. Then there was an internal office to the CPD. Then we created the city created the Independent Police Review Authority, which was an external agency. IPRA sucked so because OPS sucked, and then IPRA sucked so much. We ended up having to create, um, and I was involved in helping write that legislation. The Citizen Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, replaced IPRA in 2017, I believe. Excuse me, I think it was 2000. No, it was 2016. My apologies. But COPA didn't come around for a year or two. The legislation passed in late 2016, but it was a year or two before COPA actually started. We had to wind down IPRA. Um, so the, the first version of this, soft, of this legislation made it seem like it was only going to be COPA allegations. So we can go back to 2000, but only COPA. Right. So now the supposedly the one circulated since Sunday night, the newest version or that version as of that time, who knows, there's probably five more, um, includes records from OPS, includes records from IPRA, includes records from COPA and includes records going forward to any other agency they create. Um, this is how much Mayor Lightfoot cares about accountability. She just wants a couple of years of records. She doesn't want any the old ones. She doesn't want to show where years and years and years and years and years of failed misconduct, um, failed accountability. She doesn't want to show that. Why would she? Why would someone who headed up the police accountability task force and write a report like she did and say what she did? Why would she want to like actually do it when she has the power? So weak, so horrible, selling out everything she campaigned on related to police accountability with Lightfoot. Um, there will be more Laquan McDonald's. There will be more um, Anthony Alvarez's. They're not doing what they need to do to stop it. There's no fear of accountability from the police department. No matter how much they chirp about it and we'll get on, it's just not happening. So we're going to get to a third segment, which also doesn't <laughs> doesn't look well for Miss or Mayor Lightfoot. So let's headline, Lightfoot's office was blindsided by CPD. I'm sorry, blindsided by CPD's use of controversial facial, facial recognition software then, then raised serious concerns. This um, came out in the dump of uh, hacked emails from Jones Day. And basically this is a 2019 emails. Um, well, actually 2020 emails. But basically what it shows is that January 1st, 2020, the CPD started using Clearview AI, which is a company that scrapes multiple social media and other sites and collects images and basically has a facial recognition database unmatched by anyone, probably, probably anyone other than the government. And they use facial recognition. Now, they're very controversial. There's all kinds of problems with it. Really um, high uh, false positives on blacks, um, specifically blacks or anyone of color and specifically non-males. It's horrifically bad at it. But the CPD said, we don't care. We'll give you a $50,000 contract, which they started the process in uh, September of 2019. And that actually went live in January of 2020. And then I think if I get the timing right... Um, it got exposed in like May or June of 2020 that the CPD actually had the contract 
and there was back and forth between the mayor's office and the CPD, and the CPD had to admit they did it. So here's a quote from our from Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. CPD, this is after her office found out that they do, in fact, use Clearview AI, but I'll get to how really false her statement is. True lie. CPD does not use facial recognition software. Lightfoot wrote in an email to Lee and other staffers the following day. What? The day? The day after the Sun-Times um, exposed the fact that they had a contract with Clearview AI and they're using facial recognition. Lightfoot's like, they don't do it. So either she was lying or she was ignorant. Now, most of the time I would think they don't know. But don't you think she would have called first? Or inquired, called the superintendent and found out? Um, if she did find out and knew and then wrote that, then it's a lie. Because that's what went public. Um, so you say, well, how did, maybe she didn't know. They had Clearview AI just for a few years. Um, and let me just back up and say, they bought that software. It's only a $50,000. I think it was a trial. It was only a $50,000 contract. When you're talking a $1.7 billion budget, not much in the CPD. But how did they pay for it? Not with Chicago funds, ladies and gentlemen. Federal anti-terrorism funds were used to pay for that contract. Now, what makes Lightfoot's statement worse? CPD does not use facial recognition software. Well, two things are, could have created that statement. Either she knew they were and she's lying, or she was lied to by the superintendent, or, and by that time, you know, uh, June, July, May, June, July of 2020, her boy, David Brown, was in. Her pick was in. He lied to her. Or, third, um, she just had no clue, and she rattled that off as a statement to, the, to go out to the media with no clue whether or not she was right, just assumed because she's mayor, she knows everything that's going on and doesn't need to check anything. Well, why do I say that? Well, it turns out the CPD has had a contract with a company called DataWorks since 2013. What does DataWorks do, you ask? Well, they do facial recognition. So that statement is empirically, completely, and utterly false. Someone lied to her. She was lying, or she had no clue. I'm not sure which one's the which version of that is best. Okay, let's get to a, a quote from Daniel Lurie, her chief of policy. This is in an email. The face comparison policy states that the CPD will adopt and follow procedures and practices by which it can ensure and evaluate the compliance of users with the face comparison system requirements. Does anyone know what the hell that means? This is, the chief of policy was quoting something the CPD sent, okay? Lurie wrote to Lee, I think it's Susan Lee, who's then deputy mayor for public safety. But those procedures and practices are not defined and, in quote, brackets there because it wasn't in the statement, are at the core of any, any meaningful accountability system. Of course, the CPD has no meaningful accountability, and they certainly don't want one, and they don't want one about spying, and they don't want about one about new technologies. But none of this is important, really, in the end, because as you heard from the, as the mayor said in that statement in, 
in 2020 that the CPD doesn't use facial recognition software. They don't do that. Just because they have contracts with two different companies to do that, why would I be telling the truth? So um, it's pretty sad. Now, the last part of this um, that I think is interesting is that there's like this discussion about who stopped the contract. The CPD spun it as if they pulled the contract. They thought they were, it was a trial. They tested it. It didn't work as well. They got rid of it. It wasn't because, holy shit, this either is bad, bad PR, or by the way, which is the part, big problem with Clearview, it violates the biometrics laws in Illinois. It broke them. They're being sued currently um, by the ACLU and I think others. It, it rather... At, le at least it seems a rather significant violation of the biometrics laws, and it's so bad that they, um, they dropped Illinois, which is why it wasn't the CPD that pulled the plug. It was Clearview. Clearview not only pulled the plug, they refunded them their money, their prorated money. It's not, they didn't, CPD didn't pull the plug, Clearview did. Clearview left the state because of the biometrics law, and they knew they were basically going to lose it. So... Um, none of this, so we're 0 for 3 with the mayor. Maybe this fourth segment, this FOP watch will be a little more kind to the mayor. So we're going to take a look at two clips. Um, the first one is about a class action grievance filed by the, the FOP, the Fraternal Red Police. This come, these clips come from, um, FOP President, Fraternal Order Police President John Contanzara, his regular Friday updates. This is from last Friday. And this clip one is about his class action grievance, and then we'll talk about it when we get back. All right. Friday update, May 21st, 2021. I'm coming to you from the FOP boardroom on the second floor. The boardroom today was the site of contract negotiations. You know, the negotiations the mayor says doesn't take place because the FOP has been stalling. Well, these were already scheduled. She doesn't even know what's going on in her own city. That's just the reality. Uh, that being said, this morning, I want everybody to know we addressed a major concern that all our members had, including the lodge, uh, about the cancellation of days off and the 12-hour days coming and the city's just lack of compassion, understanding, or plain give a damn about social life, family life, or anything else. Uh, so this morning, we filed a class action grievance with Management and Labor Affairs on behalf of all Lodge members um, to address that concern in expedited arbitration fashion. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on how the progress goes over the next couple of weeks on that specifically. The reason I had said it was close to a contract violation was at the point I gave the special update two days ago, we were trying to get clarity from the attorneys on exactly what language meant and what avenues we had to attack it. The Lodge has never really addressed it on this level before. Don't know why, not worried about why it hasn't been done before. All I know is I told you we're gonna fight and we are dedicated to making that happen. So a lot of hard work upstairs went into this uh, mindset of what to do and how to attack it and here we are contract negotiations this morning we did come to an agreement on one topic many of you probably won't give a damn on first blush some will uh, it doesn't have a direct impact on your pocketbook necessarily 
but we did come to a formal agreement on reinstating the health fair screenings that are in the contract currently, $75,000 a year. The lodge gets to conduct those screenings on behalf of the members. Uh, it will be a $75,000 a year for this year. Next year, it will go up to $300,000 uh, so we can do more broader screenings and kind of diversify what we look for and try and keep our members healthier going forward and saving the city money. The reason to save the city money is because eventually we want to have a Philly Lodge 5-like uh, model where decades ago they instituted a health care benefit plan separate from the lodge or the city that institutes health care for their members active and retired. It is a zero contribution paycheck scenario in Philadelphia. The only cost to the members are the co-pays. It is largely funded, I mean, it is totally funded by the city, but the way the savings goes is because of the screenings and various programs that Philly does, it catches stuff early and then thus saves the city money. $10 million plus a year is the last four years combined. Uh, I, I should say four-year average. So that's kind of the goal with the health screenings moving forward. Okay, so let's be honest. There's no doubt Katanzara, the, C the FOP, uh, CPD membership, they're right. The 12 hours a day, canceled days off, ridiculous. I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. Um, I don't... Could things flare up like a weekend and you need... Um, maybe holiday weekends you cancel, I don't know, but... The, the fact of having that ongoing seems a little bit of an issue with me. And I agree that the officers need to have lives. So um, the reality is this is part of this, if not all of this, is around propaganda. The mayor, the police department, they know for the most part. They're unable to change the social circumstance of these communities. They're not... They have less of an impact than everyone wants them to have on crime and violence. But they want to look like they're doing something. And David Brown, the superintendent, whether he was in uh, Dallas and now in Chicago, wants to look like he's doing something. Does it lead to anything? Highly, highly, highly questionable. Now, so they're right. Um, they shouldn't be allowed to just cancel days off willy-nilly and 12, day, 12 hours on emergencies no problem short periods of time no problem long long term that is just wrong he's right okay he's for improving health care great all for it i'm kind of surprised to be honest with you um health is science-based and he doesn't really seem to be a big fan of science so i'm not really sure why he um is doing it it seems almost interesting ideas um strange but I think he's trying to do anything he can to make sure he kind of gets reelected. Uh, he's got a case in front of the police board, could get fired. I'm not sure what it means um, if he's got to be an officer from the CPD to be FOP president. If he gets fired, if he loses his, his position, I'm not sure what goes on with that. Okay, we're going to look at clip number two, which is on contract negotiations. This runtime is about five minutes, and we'll be back after that. Listen to the language he uses. See how much of accountability, the details about accountability he goes into or doesn't go into.
We'll catch you on the flip side. Uh, contract proposals. The city attorneys were pretty clear they did not want to bring a financial proposal only to the city council. They are insisting that discipline and reforms are included in this proposal package. Uh, I could tell you some of the things that we tendered from the lodge today formally. We had talked about them previously, but formal proposals today addressed those concerns and they still were not apparently good enough to convince them that they need to present this to city council or even the mayor, I guess. So I'm gonna explain it very clearly what the lodge's position has been and try and get the principal components of a contract out of the way and address the smaller issues secondary after the fact. Number one, we all know that Retro is waiting us at some point, whether it's today, tomorrow, or a year from now, it's money that's going to come. Uh, we have made a couple different tweaks to what our proposal should be to try and make that a, ha a reality separate from everything else. They have said no. The last proposal we have tendered is a seven-year uh, proposal, three years going forward, with a 20.5% pay raise. Now, the, the concern is, oh my God, They'll never agree because the teachers got 16%. You can't get more than the teachers got. Well, we're going two years beyond what the teachers got. So that extra two years is the 4.5% difference. Um, I'm pretty sure they're not going to take uh, on first offer two and a quarter percent for each year going forward, which would make up the difference. But that's their contract fight, not ours. Uh, in reality, that's the financial component. The healthcare component, as I already described, encompasses the healthcare screenings and a proposal for new hires going forward about a Illinois State Police-like model where there will be a fitness standard requirement for all new hires for the remainder of their employment with CPD. It would not affect current employees. That, again, would eventually make for a healthier police department, which is going to save the city more money when it comes to health care in the future. That's how we address the health care issues. They want more. They want an increased contribution across the board like the firemen agreed to and like the sergeants got stuck with. Uh, we are hard fast. We are not accepting that savings. The city and the mayor and her budget has said they had found over $150 million in savings just by redoing, tweaking, and revising contracts. Well, how can you say you need to increase our cost when you just said you saved money on a healthcare front and we just are now giving you two more options to save money going forward. So we're not even entertaining an increase on a member's level. Lastly is the accountability issues. Discipline, discipline, discipline. They backdoored us with their efforts in Springfield and were successful in, in large part of getting some stuff addressed in 3653 which we have nine days to still work on before Monday's deadline next week, or the week after. Uh, but as far as accountability in the Lodge, you know, we have gone through Article 6 with the city. We came to agreement on about 30% of what they wanted to change. That wasn't enough months ago when we talked about it. One of the other things that's been at the Labor Board is the city's discipline matrix that the sergeants have uh, and what we were going to do with that unfair labor practice filing. 
Well, we gave them a copy, a tendered a copy of our discipline matrix proposal. That's our version of partial accountability. Uh, and the thought is our discipline matrix, along with an expedited arbitration process for minor discipline issues, so we can you know, get the discipline off as quickly as possible and it meets the consent decree requirements. It is in large part, thankfully, I guess you should say why Sidney Roberts was basically forced out the door at COPA because of the length of investigations. Um, there is many things that we are trying to address, even with the discipline, as a good faith offer that the city still thinks those components that I just all mentioned to you was not enough of a package to present on the floor of city council to the alderman for a vote and worry about the rest of the contract later. We couldn't be more in disagreement. We think those are major issues that the city has never got the opportunity to discuss with the lodge. Okay, so let's decipher this a little bit. He keeps wanting to push, which has never happened before and isn't going to happen. He wants to separate out pay from accountability and reform. No, no. He doesn't want to link them. So he's trying to push and has pushed and he's never going to get anywhere with it. A financial-only proposal that talks about back pay, right, and raises. He wants that, vote on that, and then we'll deal with whatever we can deal with with the accountability. No, 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 no. Those are linked. You give up on accountability, you get raised. I mean, that's how this is. This is how this goes. That's the only bargaining chip the mayor has, and he he keeps trying to. He thinks he's going to pull some Jedi mind trick on the mayor um, to get them to do some financial only proposal. It is never going to happen. Um, life would, amongst all of her. I mean, even accounting for all her promises, she's not going to fall for that. Um, you see how there's no details on the reform and it's very vague. Because it's bullshit. He's not doing anything. This guy has 50 complaints. The last thing he's going to do is it make it easier for people, the department, to fire bad cops. He's a bad cop. That's why he's up in front of the police board right now. He's got a hearing. He's basically going to be on trial soon in front of the police board trying to keep his job for like the fourth time they've tried to fire the guy. If you, if you listen to his lingo, accountability is everything other than the financial is a secondary issue. Those are small issues. Not a major issue. All the major issues have been taken care of. Accountability, reform, those are secondary. That's what he's trying to pull. And that's the crap he's trying to feed his, his, uh, his members. And they believe it and they think that he's doing a good job. Clueless. Accelerated arbitration. I don't, why is that good for accountability? It's good for your officers. I don't understand why it's good for accountability. Can someone tell me? He can't. Once again, he's trying to pull a Jedi mind trick on people. Um, and also, you know, and this is exactly why um, Sidney Roberts got, you know, pushed out at COPA because of lengthy investigations. Your contract has nothing to do with the length of the investigations. The reforms you're pushing have nothing to do with it. It's a total lie. It's just BS, right? It's propaganda to um, he's just feeding... Um, you know, a lot of Trumpers, which is what his membership, a lot of his membership is. He's just feeding them BS and they're buying it hook, line, and sinker. He doesn't care. He just wants to lie and get reelected. Okay. After the segment, we're going to 
uh, launch our new segment called Stenographers to Power and uh, talk about why a really crappy article from the Sun-Times. No shot, no shock there. Um, it probably should have never, or it should have been published. It should have waited till he actually did his work. Okay, we'll be back in one minute. Got some information about our nation program. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. All right, we are back. So this is a new segment. I was struggling to figure out a name. It's like bad journalism or whatever. Then came this this phrase, Denographers to Power. And it's basically a book written by David Barsamian, uh, a radio journalist for a really long time. And um, I love it because it talks about um, the media being stenographers just you know, um, plugging information in and just taking verbatim what public officials say to them. So this is the article we are going to talk about. And um, of course, I didn't write, take a note of who wrote it, but let's talk about the article itself. It's called, it's titled, Chicago Police Board Rejects Firing Officer Accused of Making False Statements in Hospital Patient Beating Case. Okay, interesting. I want to know more, right? So the article is written on, I think, a Thursday night, which would be my bet either post a Thursday night or Friday morning last week. That's when the Chicago Police Board announces the decisions they voted on earlier in the day in private session. So the Sun-Times, which must have felt pressure to publish, published an article. There's a vote. It's five to three. The officer not only isn't fired, which is what the police department was trying to do, because COPA investigated the abuse, found him lying in the investigation, um, sustained the, uh, the charge for lying, moved to fire him. The police superintendent, I think it's David Brown. I think so. I think the timing works out there, either that or Eddie Johns or uh, back, but I think it was David Brown agrees with it, the city files mo uh, uh, charges with the police board, they're going to fire him. Great. What do they do? What is this article about? Well, it's a vote five to three. They're going to return him to duty. They're not going to fire him. Okay, well, why? Well, the board just didn't think. Um, basically, the case revolves around whether or not the officer, when the officer swung at him, he actually hit him in the head. And whether or not he hit him or he just grazed him or he missed him. And there's a video of it. Um, and then, but you get that information from articles, probably cut and pasted from articles previously done on the case. When the charges were filed. Or, what I mean, when, when they moved to fire him or when the charges, when the incident happened. But there's no information about the decision and why the police board did what they did. Why did they do it? 
What do you mean? Why can't you get it? Now, here's the thing. The police board announces the decision. It is then sent, I think it's probably, they vote on it in private session. I believe then everything's signed and written up and everything. I believe it's within, they give it a couple of days to get that out to the officer and the city council and then the, uh, in the city, I should say. And then that decision is posted on the police board's website. Um, it's a crappy website. I, if I were you, I'd go to cpbinfocenter.org, which we run. This case should be up soon, um, but it'll give you information on the charges and decisions back to 1999. However, okay, so it takes a day or two before, after they vote on the charges for the, the decision to actually be made public, and the sometimes wanted to rush because they voted for this guy to keep the job. Now, they don't know why the board voted that way, really, and no one on the board is talking. Just five to three, that's all that matters. It isn't, man. In 2011, in September of 2011, I believe it was, we passed a damn reform to amend the police board ordinance, which has been in since 1960 and never been adjusted, to make the board members, the majority and minority voters, explain their decisions. You can go get that ordinance, and it'll soon be up on our site. You can go get it from the police board website, and it gives you the majority of explanation of the majority vote and why they voted that way, and the dissenters write out a dissent. Why didn't you wait to get that and do a full story about it? Instead, you wrote this piece of crap. This story's useless. Most of it was cut and pasted probably from an article someone else, you or someone else wrote months ago when the charges were filed or the incident happened. We didn't need a retread of that with a five to three vote. That was it. We didn't need it. Article's a piece of crapola. Um, we, we, Part of the reason we fought for the explanations is so the media could take that information and inform the public. Even that's too hard for them to wait the day or two because there's some rush to explain that decision. Why? Why are you so incompetent? I don't understand. Um, and just as a reminder, if you're listening to the podcast version of this or you're watching this live now, when this is posted on our site, uh, either later tonight or tomorrow morning in the podcast version, you can get, um, if you go to our site, go to that post, you will get all the links and you will get all the images that we show on the uh, site, uh, show on the show, provide on the show. Um, okay, let's get to um, our next segment. which is an op-ed from the Chicago Tribune editorial board. I know there's been a fight recently about the Tribune and new ownership, and some vulture uh, capitalist head fund has come in and bought the Chicago Tribune. I'm telling you, with editorials like this, I'm not so sure we're going to miss the Tribune. Maybe we can keep the Tribune and the reporters and just fire the editorial board and get rid of editorial boards altogether. I don't know why they exist except to give privileged, rich, white people um, carte blanche to say anything they want, no matter how stupid, ignorant, or um, politically dangerous it is. So the editorial, editorial title is, More than 90 Cook County defendants accused of murder are out on electronic monitoring. What's going on? Well, um, there's been this thing for about four years now, maybe a little longer, called bail reform. You may have heard of it. 
it has been covered in your paper, so maybe um, you should read your paper instead of watching Fox News all the time. Not Fox Local, Fox like Fox Fox. Um, you know, this is the same editorial board that uh, bemoans uh, corruption and the Democrats and how horrible it all is and how corrupt the city is. And then they endorse every corrupt mayor and alderman we've ever had. Disgusting. Anyways, I bet this is pushed by Sheriff Dart. Got the ear of someone on the board. And here we go. So they're complaining about bail reform. There's this little thing called the U.S. Constitution. And there's this thing called bail. And what bail is, it was a program set up for people that were not proved to be an imminent threat to people. Believe it or not, you can be accused of murder and not necessarily been an imminent threat to people you live with or the public at large. Bail was set up to make sure it's a complicated process. I'm saying it's slow for the editorial board so they can get it. Bail was created to make sure that people show up for their court hearings. Okay? Not complicated, right? Now, the research has shown that very high percentages of people show up for their court hearings, whether they have a high bail or low bail or no bail. So... There's this movement around the country that they're saying, like, if most people show up, then there's no reason for bail because poor people sit in jail waiting for their cases when rich white people don't. That's the bottom line. I mean, you can look in the, at uh, Matt Gates' case in Florida. Greenberg, Joel Greenberg, I think, is the guy who was the first person arrested in that case. He was, con he was charged with child sex trafficking. And he was out on bail because he could afford it. And this is what rich white people don't get. They just don't want poor people out. White, rich white people, they don't care. It's the poor black and brown that they care, uh, complain about. So with bail reform is going to come the fact that people accused of violent crimes are out because they may not necessarily be an imminent threat. And believe it or not, they have yet to be convicted of a crime. You just have a cop saying they've done something. And in Cook County, you could sit in jail waiting two, three, four years. What happens if you get found not guilty and they decide to drop charges? I don't understand. Ooh, excuse me. I don't understand um, why someone should have to, if they're not proved to be an imminent threat, why they should have to sit in jail waiting for the slow reels of, of justice to grind along to prove their innocence and to be free, lose a job, lose contact with family, lose apartments. So here's a couple quotes. Chief Judge Timothy Evans, a supporter of criminal justice reform measures that boost and protect the rights of defendants, say while murder charges, for example, are serious, at least one study has shown the vast majority of those charged, even with violent crimes, are not charged with another crime while awaiting the resolution of their case on pre-trial release. That's true. Now, does that mean no one is? Of course not. Of course not. But it just means... Statistically, the vast majority are not charged with any crimes, let alone serious crimes. All right. So the Tribune has nothing. They're just asking a stupid question. For an own, it's like let's the edit, the head of the, the the editorial title was "Can we get a stupid question from some uninformed person on the street?" This shouldn't be a question. You have you have crime reporters that have written extensively about this. 
You can't go ask them? This editorial is incredibly stupid. They have no evidence for anything being a foul, right? They're just pro-incarceration. Lock them up. They're poor. Lock them up. Lock them up. We don't care. Lock them up. Especially if they're charged with serious crimes. Lock them up. And the reality is there is a, um, a function in the law, even in this HB 3653 passage where they got rid of eliminated cash bail in Illinois, and I think it goes in effect in two years um, completely, there's still there the ability for judges to find people an imminent threat and lock them up and deny them bail. Their ignorance here is, is, is scary. And these are the idiots that um, have meaningful impact on elections by endorsing certain candidates. That just scared the hell out of you. All right, here's the next quote, another quote. At what cost? There's no independent central database that tracks offenders accurately who commit additional crimes without on bracelet monitoring. Lie, uninformed BS. Next. Defendants would end up back in the system only if, if they committed a crime and were charged. Not if they committed a crime but not apprehended. Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown repeatedly cited the program as unsustainable and dangerous for the law-abiding citizens, children, and neighborhoods to which defendants run while return while awaiting trial. Okay, now, first of all, the database, crapola thingy. Yes. There is no separate database that, that only holds information on people out on bail and whether or not they commit a new crime. But, oddly enough, believe it or not, Loyola University, professors David Olson and Don Steeman, Don's the chair of the Criminal Justice, Dep Criminal Justice and Criminology Department of Loyola University of Chicago. Dave Olson is a longtime professor there, both incredibly, incredibly well-published. They did a study published late last year they were on our show. You can go look into the archives. And they did an analysis of bail reform pre-2020. And basically what it showed is it made no significant, statistically significant difference on crime. Vast majority of people show up for their court hearings, and it made no statistical significance on crime. And most people did not reoffend while out on bail. Some did, most didn't. Exactly what we know from previous research around the country, exactly what anyone in the criminal justice system knows. Don't buy the lies from David Brown or Sheriff Dart or anyone else. They know the research. They just don't like it. They want to score political points. And we're going to get to David Brown's oopsies. This is unsustainable. Dangerous for law-abiding citizens. Now, let's see if somehow we could go back in time and prove David Brown or most likely, knew that that line he just said was crap, was unsupported by the data that he had no evidence for. I wonder if there's some magical way we could do that. Wait, wait, wait. I think in our next segment, I might be able to do that. Let's go to our next segment and prove how David Brown, knowing, or at least everyone in the mayor's office, including Mayor Lightfoot, who keeps sounding off on these issues, knows it's wrong. And this may be why, partially, what we're about to talk about is partially why Susan Lee, who was deputy mayor for public safety, resigned and got the hell out of there. Let's see. <gasps> mayor Lightfoot. This is from WBEZ. Um, Patrick Smith. I love this article. Mayor Lightfoot blamed gun violence on judges, but emails show her staff knew it wasn't true. 
That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are able to go back in times thanks to the email hacked of Jones Day. We are able to know pretty much in real time during the events what the mayor's office knew while Mayor Lightfoot, Superintendent Brown, started their campaign to campaign against bail reform. You know, Miss Mayor Progressive, massive justice system reformer, arguing against a vastly researched, vastly supported, evidence-supported, evidence-based program. And now, guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, her staff knew when she was saying it the first time, July, after the July 4th weekend, 2019, they knew it was a lie. And we have proof that Susan Lee, the deputy mayor, wrote memos circulating it, and some of that probably went to the mayor. There's no way her whole, and I think the article says it did go to the mayor. She knew. Not only does she know, she talks to criminal justice reformers all the time. She knew her deputy chief of staff, Maurice Clausen, is an ex-prosecutor. He was with MacArthur. He knew it. Before he took mayor, um, the deputy chief of staff's office, he was with the MacArthur Foundation working on a, a variety of things but criminal justice reform. He knows it, but they just kept pushing this lie out, lie after lie after lie, and it comes out of the mayor's mouth all the time. Total political hackery. Blaming others. This is what Lightfoot is so good at. So let me read you a couple long quotes, but it's really interesting. After a violent 4th of July weekend in 2019, both Mayor Lightfoot and then police uh, superintendent David Brown, we can keep our community safe if people just, we can't keep our community safe if people just keep cycling through the system. About 10 days later, then Deputy Mayor of Public Safety Susan Lee emailed some of our colleagues alerting them that a group of, of public officials had taken issue with the mayor and superintendent, attributing violence to the, people, to the people bonding out of jail, referring to the process in which people accused of crimes can pay money to be released from jail if a judge finds they would, ha, would not be a threat to public safety. That's the only reason you get cash bail if you're not an immediate imminent threat. Lee noted that the group had data showing that very few folks who bonded out actually committed offenses with a gun. That's right. Actually, they committed very few offenses, period. Lee wrote in an email that she knew they were, there were concerns about the quality of the data from some. No, no, no. That is BS. Don Steeman, Dave Olson, Loyola, go look on our archive. You can see the show. That's it. They had the data. That's BS. But, I mean, you don't have to believe Evan's review. You don't have to believe what Kim Fox was saying, but you can believe two independent highly credentialed academic researchers doing research all around the country. Don and Dave are beyond re reproach. But she also wrote that the Chicago Police Department was invited to review the data, but that review never happened. So this was about, um, and I wrote you know, a big um, blog about it. This is about the bail project, and I forgot the name of the other organization because they were paying cash bails for people. So the mayor, and superintendent are fine when rich white people get out for crimes. They just don't want poor black people to get out on crimes. Poor people should stay because they can't afford it. They should say no one should help them pay for their bail. If you can personally afford it and you're rich, it's fine. Get out. That's what that translates into. This is Brown a year later. A year later, the mayor's office is circulating this throughout our office, including the mayor, in June of, or July of 2019. This is Brown a year later in the midst of the 
um, unrest and protests from David Brown. Electronic monitoring and low bond amounts given to offenders endangers our residents and flies in the face of hard work where police officers put on a daily basis to take them off the streets. I will continue to bring attention to the sheer number of repeat offenders who are given little no jail time and low bonds and go on to commit more crimes. This is a narrative they refuse to drop. The solution isn't getting rid of bail. The solution isn't locking them up. All the social science research shows it. They don't care. David Brown is not an honest actor. He isn't. His history in uh, Dallas, which we're going to bring forward in not too long distant future, and his time here proves it. And unfortunately, Mayor Lightfoot is following it. She enabled this guy. She put him in his position. And now they are both repeating a mantra about people getting out of jail and low bonds and all this stuff. And now it's contributing to what's going on in the city. And it isn't. And then they're not doing anything to fish, fix the actual social circumstances in Chicago. Mayor uh, Superintendent Brown is bringing back roving squads again. Failure after failure after failure, but we just keep bringing them back. He's got a new one. It's a community response team, and they're going to do all these interesting things. Don't look at who's on it like offenders. And, I mean, cops who have massive complaint histories for abuse, don't worry about them. Don't look under the, don't look under the covers. This is a joke, and they, they know it. I, I would doubt I don't think Susan Lee has ever talked to the press. Someone ought to get her to talk because I bet you this has something to do with it. That is just plain dishonesty from the mayor and the superintendent. They got called on it. They got pushed on it. They knew it. Their deputy chief of staff for public safety knew it, knew the data was there. They don't care. It gives them political points. They're going to do it. Okay. Frustrating. Big week for frustration against the mayor and our justice system for sure. Um, and some of our legislators will see. Where we are a week from today, so we are off Friday and Monday for the holiday. We'll restart our regular Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5.30 Central, a week from today. If you got topics for the show, infochicagojustice.org, or you can hit us up on any of our, uh, any of our social media. We're on Instagram, but also the show streams on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. Hit us up in any of those places, and we'll be happy to... Um, consider bringing topics and, and answering questions on the show. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great holiday weekend. Uh -huh.